First of all, something you gotta understand is your body is an adaptation machine. Like that's our superpower as a human, is we can adapt to anything, right? And so for the people who say like, you have to be kind of gentle with your body or like it's fragile or you're gonna break it if you do something crazy. It's like, your body is not fragile, first of all. Like it is very robust and capable if you allow it to be. And if you create the proper environment to cultivate its growth. You know, you're looking kind of juicy, so I think we should be talking about how you get the juice. Like, what does one have to do to get the juice? Mm. Tell us your secrets, Sensei. Let's do it. Yeah, so I guess we'll just go all the way back to the beginning. And just a little bit of my background, I guess. I am a personal trainer. Mm. I help run a gym in sacramento california and we do private training so that's personal training one-on-one -on -one stuff we do semi-privates and small group training um it's called power pack fitness quick little shout out to the pack be the energy <laughs> for any of those listening who are familiar um so i originally was going to school in college for um, music so i was a music major and yeah, a little different than fitness, but um, I was doing the music thing down in Santa Barbara, working at a recording studio down there, doing that whole thing. It was super awesome. Learned a lot of really cool things, met a lot of cool people, um, but just decided that's not what I wanted to do as a career long term. I would rather just keep it as a hobby. Right, just because the industry, how that all works and things like yeah, that. Yeah, the, kind of the, the music industry is very cool and very fun but it's also i did not feel two things i did not feel a lot of a huge sense of like community in terms of like camaraderie and people always like looking out for each other and wanting everyone mm. else's best interest it was pretty cutthroat just like in general and like i wasn't even in it that long and i could kind of start to see that you could already see where that's going yeah and just the fact of like to be able to get to the highest level of music like I'm not saying you have to do this, but there was a lot of, you know, people who you end up doing some, maybe some shady stuff or things that like don't align with my personal values. Per yeah. Se, the, right? the stories you hear are always like a little like, Ooh. yeah, I don't um, even know if that's true or not, but with the off chance it is, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> totally. The other thing is that it was incredibly like all consuming in that that was like the only thing that my life entailed it was just like being in the recording studio for very long hours i remember vividly one time like we walked out of the studio to like go to lunch or something and we'd been in there for like hours and i walked out and i'm like oh outside like the sun like and it was in santa barbara mm -hmm. right so it's like gorgeous and just amazing so i walk outside i'm like just just hits me of like hmm outside kind of nice outside kind of <laughs> nice maybe she could touch some grass every now and then yeah and so and it was just the combination of that and I don't know, it just it just wasn't I just it just didn't feel like the right fit for me. At least at the Yeah, time. like like to really um, make it there you long have to, term. 
really commit, yeah. burn the boats, be absolutely obsessed. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable with that kind of balance. Totally. And it, it's always going to be a very much a starving artist kind of situation for a while mm. until you make it. And it's like, that's not the industry I wanted to go starve in. Like, mm. it just didn't, it just didn't, like that. didn't seem like that. Find the industry you want to starve in. Yeah. Because ultimately, like find it, something you're willing to die for and then live for it kind of deal. Yes. That's a good way to put that. I like that. Like, if you want to be really great at something that like you're going to have to grind for a while you, you're, it's going to consume you for at least a little bit if you're trying to be the best at something but that's just not something that i wanted to let consume for sure. me. like and if you're obsessed just, with yeah. something the grind is what you love because you get to do the yeah. thing that you're obsessed with anyway yeah so that, that I, I feel that's and what they, i'm trying to find too i do like like I, I love music i still love it um but it was getting to the point where what i used to de-stress was becoming the stress ah. and it, so it was just kind of this dissonance of those two things like i would rather keep this as a hobby be able to enjoy it on my own terms right. and like art. express myself in the way that i see fit and not kind of be at the beckoning call of the industry and like others and that that kind of thing anyway, anyway. Yeah, the art so the art was becoming less of yeah an artistic fulfillment purpose yep and because yeah, i was like makes sense almost like just fulfilling other people's artistic purposes instead ah, of like my own thing too, to think about. which was, again, some people are totally fine with that. Like if you're an audio engineer, especially something like that, if you're going that route, like you are in a service industry for everyone else. Like you're just going to be doing that and that's okay. Um, but didn't feel like it was the path for me. And so I decided to try to find something different that would allow me to kind of live a little bit more of the life that I wanted to live. That's important. So what was the main, like, was it pretty immediately after you left the music industry that you went into fitness or what was that transition period like? Yeah. Did you try anything so else or was it pretty direct? I'll regress a little bit because in high school, like I played sports as an athlete, was pretty into that I whole can tell. scene. And <laughs> thanks. Um, I was pretty into that whole scene and... You know, my initial thought in high school was like, oh, I'll go be a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or something like that where I can work with athletes and I can um, I can help people rehabilitate from injuries because I definitely saw my fair share of the inside of a physical therapy office. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to pay that forward a little bit. And that was, that was my initial thought process. Um, then, you know, I just got really into music and decided to just full send and go chase that for a little bit, see what I could do there. Yep decided it wasn't for me. So I made kind of the pivot back toward physical therapy um, pretty soon after that because I was still really interested in that and that seemed okay, like Okay, so that was just that, kind of like already something you're planning on doing. Yeah. Tried the music thing for a bit, but that was still kind of, well, I don't want to say like the backup, but but you had like kind of right, immediate right. fallback. Yes. Gotcha. And so um, did an internship with somebody down there in Santa Barbara. Um, at their private practice physical therapy clinic while I was still going to school. Um, changed a lot of my classes around because it was, you know, obviously it was on the track to like do music classes and things of that mm -hmm. nature while I was, you know, working at the recording studio, but shifted it towards anatomy, physiology, biology, that kind of stuff um, while I was going towards, you know, physical therapy. Um, loved it. Was in the clinic helping out for a little while down there and it was great it was really cool working with people i'm the other i'm the type of person too that like i really like to work with people like 
in a in a real interaction. And that's a very like that. visceral way to work with people mm -hmm. is when you're helping them with their bodies. Totally, 100%. And so was doing that for a little while. was great. was awesome. Um, ended up moving back to SAC and transferring to a different school to kind of continue to pursue that. Um, ended up getting a degree, degree in kinesiology. Um, while I was still going to school, while I was pursuing that degree, I was thinking, you know, maybe athletic training could be an interesting route. And those are the people who, if you've ever watched like a football game or something and somebody gets injured, people run out on the field and mm -hmm. like care for injured athletes and so, stuff like that. Quick question. Is an athletic trainer, that kind of job you're talking about, is that more for like kind of almost like a first responder for like a sports injury? Or yes. is it also training for athletic performance off the field? So an athletic trainer, as sort of that role is typically defined, works with a team usually. Um, and they are kind of the first responder on the field for when athletes get injured. And then mm -hmm. they are also the ones oftentimes helping out with and or implementing like a rehabilitation return to play program. Recovery. So they're a little bit more on the return to play rehab side of things. Um, whereas your strength and conditioning staff is usually the ones who are working towards the performance. But gotcha. Um, I started to see on that note, actually, I started to see this gap between between rehabilitation when somebody gets injured, an athlete specifically, and then getting them back to high level performance. Like there was this, you go to your physical therapist, the athletic trainer, whatever, you get cleared as in you don't have the same pain anymore. You can do whatever their standard you know, drills are that allows you to yeah, be cleared. Yeah, you're, you're functional as a human right? being again. And so, and then they say, okay, go back and play. Or go back to strength coach and just start doing performance stuff. Like, that's it. So there's no, and like, ramp up back to that level? There, Well, there was, but I, I there was a very large disconnect and there was still a gap in between them because I, the way that, at least the, from the vantage point that I was, that I saw is the, Rehab staff did not know enough about performance and the performance staff did not know enough about rehab. So they can't talk to each other. So it was a little bit compartmentalized. Gotcha. And so, you know, you get an athlete who is hurt, they get cleared, then they go back to play, they get re-injured. And people are kind of wondering, you know, what's going on? Why is that happening? It was because I, I think they just weren't quite prepared for the level of stress that is needed at high level sport during the rehab process. Cause most mm -hmm. of the rehab drills are like band stuff, you know, light intensity, high rep, things that are gonna help you kind of get the ball rolling in terms of letting your body heal the injury, but aren't necessarily going to bring you back up to a more robust version of yourself than before so that you can withstand the demands of sport. Right. And then if you go back to doing the same thing and you're either below the level you were at before or even at that same level, well, you got injured before, so... What's the stop from doing it exactly, again? Right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So exactly. Okay. So the idea is there's a gap between... Mm -hmm. It's more of like a Band-Aid kind of fix, so like, oh, let's just yep. get it back as soon as possible versus, sure. oh, let's figure out the root cause so it doesn't happen again. Yes. Nice. And so that was kind of what really intrigued me into pursuing this physical therapy, sports performance kind of route gotcha. was like I saw this gap and I wanted to get to a point where I could start to help fill it. Love um, that. 
So athletic training seemed like a good kind of inroad to that, but you know, it was a, I ran into a similar problem with the music industry where it was very all-consuming in a way that I didn't have a lot of control over in terms of, especially if you go to work for a, a team, like you're kind of at the mercy of the athletic director or whoever's in charge of mm -hmm. the team and your hours are crazy, you're not making that much money and you're just, you're yeah, doing all these yeah. crazy stuff and you don't actually have that much control over what you're able to do with the athletes because uh -huh. your hands are tied a little bit. Um, so I, find, I was... I find that's actually a pretty common thing with a lot of specializations in general where you'd think you're the most qualified to touch a lot of different moving pieces of whatever system you're working with, either athletic or engineering or whatever, but because you have a specific specialty, you're only authorized, quote-unquote, to work on a very specific part, and there, there's a little disconnect for the integration into the whole system, right? Yes. And I, I think that's just a good, like, almost like a red flag for, like, specialization in general. When you have that, you don't have the opportunity to kind of have that generalist view, at least enough to integrate it into the whole system. Yeah. And that, I think, is why I started to drift away from athletic training back towards physical therapy and then from physical therapy towards strength and conditioning, from strength and conditioning towards strength and conditioning in like more of a private sector. Um, it all just kind of led itself to being able to have a little bit more freedom and control over what I was doing and how I was doing it. Hmm. Um, I guess I could jumped over a lot of steps there, but long story short, I started doing a lot of internships, shadowing with various different types of people getting exposure to lots of different things so I could see all those different aspects from physical therapy to strength and conditioning, um, kind of both sides of the coin so I could get takes on on both of those and mm. start to see the similarities between them, start to see the differences and start to kind of paint a little more accurate picture of what that gap actually was that I was seeing, where, what was lacking, right? right? Like right, where right. was that crossover and where could I kind of help? And so got to the point where I applied for physical therapy school got in, decided not to go. Now, that's actually pretty difficult too. Like, like sh share, share with us some of the stats for that kind of program because it's kind of a flex. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know, like the way that it stands right now in the United States at least is um, a physical therapy program is a doctorate program. So it's three years long and you come out with a, with a doctorate. That's basically. still pretty dang fast for a doctor yeah. program too. So it's but... like an accelerated doctorate program. Basically. But that means it's got to be super intense. It though. is. And so a lot of these programs are really, really competitive to the point where, you know, a few thousand people will apply for 30 spots Jeez. or something like that, depending on the program, right? Some are less competitive, some are more competitive. Yeah, basically down to like um, a 1% acceptance yes, rate or less. Definitely. Wow. I mean, and so I got in. It's one of these programs. And the even bigger flex, <laughs> you declined. <laughs> yeah, and you can look at it however you want, but it ultimately came down to utility of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to end up. Yeah. And I thought for me in my particular situation, um, there was a better way. I think that's so important to realize and honestly admirable that you had the self-awareness at that time. Yeah to make that decision because a lot of people, I think, and this is especially a problem in like Western culture, that if you have an opportunity, people think you have to take it. 
because there's this sunk cost fallacy of, oh, but I went to school and that led me to this opportunity where I can get this job or this or that, or I got accepted into this program, so I have to take it. Otherwise, it's a, it's a waste of all that hard work or it's a waste of that opportunity that's in front of me. But having the self-awareness to understand the scope of all possibilities that you are capable of, all the opportunities that are either obvious or not obvious that you can pursue, and make the decision based on personal utility, personal goals, personal fulfillment over the impacts that you want to make in your yeah. life. I respect that heavily and I've only come to increase that re my respect for that kind of decision over time. You know what's an even bigger waste? Doing something you don't actually want to do for the rest of your life. Dude, that's the biggest sunk cost. So <laughs> That's why it's a sunk cost fallacy. It's that's like the, that's just it's what like it came down to. The, the win-then fallacy. Like, oh, I'll, I'll be happy once I do this certain thing or this basically like saying like oh i'll i'll go to the hospital when i'm healthy or i'll, I'll go to the gym to get big once i'm already fit it, it doesn't make sense like yeah. at all but people live their entire lives off of this just because that's convenient yeah in some sense and it's secure quote unquote and obvious yeah so anyway um so i had to go to physical therapy school um so that i could stick with the personal training kind of side of things because that's what I was doing while I was going to school. Um, I had a couple different jobs doing some personal training here and there. Um, I did some strength and conditioning working with some some team in like a team setting. Um, all were really, really great. So I got to see a lot of different things and decided that sort of the private sector personal training stuff, which is was kind of where I wanted to lean towards because um, I felt like I could have a really strong impact with people, but I could also do it in a way that I could best help people the way that I knew how to help people the best. That's also super important. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm fortunate to be around a lot of really cool, really smart people that I'm kind of doing this with. And shout out to all you guys. You know who you are. And yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Um, so that's kind of just where I'm at. I've had I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time around a lot of really smart people in various different aspects of the health and fitness industry. Um, I mean, even to the point where, you know, spending some time with some like naturopathic, like integrative medicine kind of type people as well, because I, you know, I think the bigger picture you have, the more holistic view you can have on something, the better you're gonna be able to understand it. Um, again, I think one of the underrated skills and one of the reasons why there was such a big gap in the sort of rehab, strength conditioning kind of interplay was that people lacked the ability to zoom in and zoom out, right? It's like, we've talked about this before, but I think that's such a big big skill because you have to be able to- yeah. mm -hmm, You have to be able to zoom in and focus in on one problem and look at the specifics of it and, you know, hyper kind of specialize, if you will, mm -hmm. on a specific issue so that you can understand the nuance of it, but then be able to zoom out again and see how does that fit back into the bigger picture? How can I reintegrate that back into right. the system as a whole? And right? like, and again, just optimize for like, what's the end goal? Like, is the end goal to fix someone's knee or is the end goal to make them walk again so they can live a fulfilling life and play with their kids? Right. You know, like just optimizing for that. Exactly. So, you know, everything comes back to What's the goal? You know, what's what's useful? What's the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing in the first place? 
And that's that should be your guiding north star in the decision making process and what you end up doing, what interventions mm-hmm. you choose to utilize, is what's the goal. Right, and then you right, just right. look at that goal through the lens of the context of who's in front of you and kind of what's different about them than another person. Because um, that's something that people, I think, misconstrue a lot is individualization when it comes to fitness and health and anything like that is there's a big, I guess, you know, push to individualize things right now which I think is awesome because everyone is very different. Like all humans are different, right? We're little snowflakes. No two humans are the same. Um, but you also have to realize that we're all still human. And so we all at a core level operate the same way. Right. There's some basic physics, chemistry, biology building blocks that kind of yeah have to happen for you to even exist as a human. So you're all kind of working with the mm-hmm. same base hardware, software package. Yep, and just kind of like little little changes and mods, I guess, if you will, yep. along the way. So you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt, obviously, because individualization has become somewhat of a buzzword because it's cool and it's easy to sell. Like, hey, I'm going to individualize this workout program for you like no one else is going to because you're different than everyone, and I'm going to individualize It's 100% just a very distinctive selling point yeah. where it's like, uh, I'm going to just make it sound like a better value for you because we're doing more things that'll be different than everyone else because we're paying attention to you, right? right. So it's just a differentiation right. tactic, honestly, for marketing, I think, most of the time. A lot of times it is. And, you know, like, again, humans are at the core fundamentally the same. So there are, are a lot of underlying principles that apply to everyone across the board. Now, that doesn't mean that you should write the same cookie cutter program for everyone because that is another reason why I decided not to go into like traditional physical therapy or anything like that. That's is all because it is, yeah. when you work in a traditional setting, your hands are tied in a lot of ways in that you have a constraint on what you're allowed to do with people, but also a t- huge time constraint because they're trying to churn out as many patients as they can in a day. And so you don't have that much time. So you end up almost by necessity having to offer cookie cutter exercises to everyone just because, to get like 80% of the role, results in or in 20% of the time, something like that? Well, it's not even that. It's just like I don't have the physical time to put the effort and thought into into individualizing this for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to give you this cookie cutter thing that will probably help. Yeah, at right? least it won't hurt. It might get you closer. Right. Good luck. And that's the thing. It becomes more of a I'm not going to hurt you rather mm. than I'm actually going to help you. And so there's a little bit of a component of that because you just the hands are tied and you, you just don't have the time. Liability so as well. Yeah. I wanted to be in a place where I could focus on the individual and really be able to put the thought and the nuance mm-hmm. into people's programs. Because So, yeah, finish your thought. Go ahead. Because I think that's very important, right? And so it's the, the balance of hitting the big things, the big rocks that is going to push the needle forward for most people. But then also... Again, you have to look through the lens of the context of the person that is in front of you because they're going to have variances and differences. And it's not just necessarily the variances that people will think of because a lot of times when you say individualize a program, you're ta- a lot of people think you're talking about like, well, you know, some people are taller, some people are shorter. Anthropomorphic differences like that. Some people have... But also, what do they want to do? Right. And I'm getting to that. But the thing is like, 
the, the most obvious differences aren't a lot of times what needs to be individualized. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily that this person should do a squat and this person should do a lunge because their hips are built slightly differently. So that person can't squat comfortably. So you're doing a lunge. It's like, sure, yes. But a lot of times the individualization also comes on the back end in how you go about coaching that person not necessarily just the exercises you choose to have them do because that's an easy way to say i'm going to individualize this program like yeah everyone gets different exercises because you're all so different it's like no not necessarily you're all going to get the same exercises but i'm gonna how i coach it how i the cues i give you the intent that i ask to try to extract from you is going to be slightly different because everyone's different on different levels too mm. it's not just like necessarily physical differences but there's some mental stuff going on yeah like psychological things going on um there's social things them, yeah. going on and it's all connected right so like let's say somebody comes in and they're both going to do a squat today right one person got great sleep one person didn't sleep at all so individualization happens on a moment-to-moment basis also where Ooh. it's like you know, okay, you're going to do the person who slept really well, you're going to stick to the program that we have today. And you're going to do, you know, three sets of five at some really heavy weight, and you're going to push it. The person who's like, didn't sleep at all. We're going to do squats today, but we're going to keep it light. And we're going to focus on range of motion. We're going to focus on some other things that aren't quite as taxing for you, Mm -hmm. we can still get benefit from. Um, So that kind of individualization comes in on a more acute sort of moment to moment basis. And there's again, you zoom back out and you have individualization across like the week or the month or whatever in terms of like, yeah, exercise selection. This person might need a different version of the squat than that person because this version, like a back squat is uncomfortable for this one, but a front squat is fine. So you're going to do a front squat. You're going to do a back squat. Ultimately, you're chasing a stimulus. And so as long as you can get that stimulus from that person, Mm. the actual means is kind of secondary. That's actually really interesting because what you've done is you've you've simplified things down to just kind of like, well, what are we looking for? We're looking for a specific type of stimulus that will, because you're human, elicit some kind of a reaction and a response, which is interesting because simplifying it has almost made it like more complex because now it's less cookie cutter. It's more individualized or whatever, but it's still so simple because you're just looking at the end goal and what's the best way to achieve that end goal given the unique set of circumstances moment to moment that someone comes in and it presents you with that's that's cool i like that principle as well and i think on that note as well like individualization comes down a lot to what their end goal is like you said earlier and a lot of times it's very like task specific Mm. like if somebody is trying to accomplish a particular task like i'm trying to jump higher like dunk a basketball like dunk a basketball okay right um versus if somebody else's goal is i want to hike mount everest right okay you both need some strong legs but one person needs their legs to be able to do something slightly different than the other person needs them to do and they're both coming to train with you at the same time let's say you're going to have them both do squats but the how you program the squat over time might differ like one person who's trying to jump higher i'm going to be a lot more focused on i care how much force you can produce how quickly you can produce it and stuff like that so i care a little bit more about absolute strength for that person Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to see how much weight you can do on the squat through a meaningful range of motion and like that becomes important versus the other person 
Obviously, the stronger your legs are, the more weight you can lift, the more capacity you're gonna have, the easier each step becomes and you know, yada yada. But you know, muscular endurance becomes important for you. Um, managing fatigue across the week becomes important for you because their training is gonna be very different outside of the weight room. Mm-hmm. Like somebody who's playing basketball every week versus someone who's like going on like 20, 30 mile hikes every week. Like the demands are just different. And so somebody, the basketball player, like let's say they only had a couple practices this week, they're feeling fresh, they can handle a lot more in the weight room. The person who just went on a 20 mile hike, they come in, their legs are burnt. Like they're not gonna be able to handle as much volume. Right. So those things come into play. So it's very valuable to start to understand what variables you have to manipulate, what levers you can pull to be able to individualize something. Because mm-hmm. it's, people treat individualization as there's only a couple things you can individualize, right? It's a very face value. It's a very, individualization means you're doing different exercises or something like that. It's right, like not it's just one layer deep. Right, there's layers to this and this is where the nuance comes in. This is where the nuance comes in. It's not necessarily nuance on a, a broad scale of like what you would think, but you know, you, you keep it as simple as you can on the outside so that you can zoom in when you need to and get the nuance for, for the things that matter, right? 100%. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Here's a question, though, because I think it's pretty clear, to me at least, that not pursuing a like traditional academic or certified, um, certified certification, you know, like a, a certificate in um, personal training, or, or sorry, rather, like physical therapy, right? it's become pretty clear to me that that path is not super useful in being able to actually implement all the things you know and integrate and the different layers of individualization and whatnot. But have you, up to this point, have you found that to be a hindrance in some aspects? Like the fact that you don't have the credentials that people are looking for, have, have you, has that like slowed you down in any way so far? Well, first of all, like I do have some credentials. Like I have the... Not like a total college dropout? <laughs> no, like I have a college degree. <laughs> nice, nice. We like in that. In <laughs> kinesiology, so it's a relevant subject matter. Um, I got certified as a personal trainer um, to kind of enter um, my very first personal training job at a crunch. Um, they required that, so that's it was a means to an end for me. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think I could still be where I am without that? 100%. Um, because at the end of the day, people care about who you are as a person, how you can relate to them. Can you listen to them? Can you care about them? And then can you take what you've learned by listening to them and actually get them where they want to go? And so it's very results based. Like this particular industry is just very results based. Like, did you help me achieve what I want to achieve? And are you like a nice person that I like to hang out with? Right. Now, there are, there are certain people who do like the nice, shiny, you know, gold-plated certificate on your wall that says, I did X, Y, Z, and I paid this much money to get this nice piece of paper, right? Dude, we love expensive pieces of paper, man. Yeah. So cool. And <laughs> again, so it just comes back to what's your goal? What are the easiest steps to getting to that goal, right? Like if, you're, if yeah. your goal is to be a physical therapist and work in the traditional physical therapy, like in a clinic, with a team, in a hospital, whatever, like you need that piece of paper. You need to be a 
licensed physical therapists in order to do that. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But and because the only way to do that is through right, traditional education. Because that's not where I knew I wanted to end up. I went a different route mm -hmm. because my end was my end goal was slightly different. Mm -hmm. So the means mm -hmm. I used to get there was less relevant, right? For sure. Um, yeah, and so it just depends like that. So anyone out there like looking to kind of get started in this thing just depends on where you're trying to end up what and then also what that first step wants to be for you because if that first step wants to be working in like a commercial box gym you need typically you need to be certified in some capacity a lot right. of times you don't need a college degree but you need a certification like NASM mm -hmm. or NSCA mm -hmm. or something like that um, and those places are awesome places to start out I think well, you so get many... boots on the ground experience. Yes. You're actually in the game now. And that's the only you have way. Context. That's the only way you can take your knowledge that you learned in school or you learned in the textbooks or the certifications and actually extract what's useful from it. It's like you have to try it. Mm -hmm. You have to apply it and see if think, it works. I think it also just applies a lot of necessary context to what you're learning anyway. Because mm -hmm. you could read a bunch of books, you can be able to recite them front to back, no problem. But if you don't have any context, you kind of don't really know what you're learning, right? So you have yeah. to have that experience to understand, oh, that's why this is important. That's why they're talking about this. Yeah. This is what that means. And then you start making more connections mm -hmm. between, you know, what you, maybe even stuff you do outside of that kind of educational path. And you start, are actually able to apply these connections because you see things working in a real system, real time as they unfold. Absolutely. Um, and I honestly think like a box gym was like such a great place to start mm -hmm. because, dude, you get experience with all sorts of people. Right. All sorts of people. Because that's a big thing people. too is people skills. They don't really teach you that a lot in, uh, in school, do they? No. You learn everything you wish you learned in school by working at a box gym <laughs> or like, you know, doing stuff like that because you get exposure to this, the gamut of different types of people, right? Like. You know, maybe you'll get an athlete here and there. It's rare, but maybe you will. But it's likely you're going to get, you know, in a day you'll see, you know, Mrs. Jones, who's 70 years old, who just had a hip replacement. And then you'll see, you know, Steve McGee an hour earlier, who, you know, used to play football in college. And now he's just <laughs> trying to get rid of his beer belly and, like, be there for his grandkids and he doesn't die of a heart attack. You right. Know? And you, you see the spectrum of people. And, you start to understand individualization, like I talked about and earlier, on a more that. applicable yeah. basis because you, you start to see the differences between so many different types of people. If you started out and you only specialized first, if you only worked with like college baseball players first, then individualization would only be between people of the same demographic. So mm -hmm. it... It wouldn't be quite the same. Again, they still need individualization because they're different human beings. But that would be a little harder to access at first than seeing 12 different types of people across the week. Yeah, it like accelerates the, the training process to yes. the expertise yes. of being adaptable. Yes, because you learn something in school or you learn something on YouTube or in a textbook or whatever. You're like, oh, I just found out this cool new exercise or this method for... Let's do it for everyone. For XYZ, right? So you're like... I'm gonna go try that today. Cool, you try it on one person, works. Try it on the next person, it works. Next person, works. The next person, works. But all of a sudden, fourth person comes in, Steve McGee, doesn't work. Oh, what Steve. the heck's going on, right? So now you have to problem solve, figure out, maybe backtrack a little bit, and like, why 
why did this why do i think this worked in the first place mm -hmm. and then is that is that actually being reflected in the real world is that 100%. actually working is it yeah. actually happening and so then what might actually be going on under the hood with this thing and you you have to do that day in and day out and so you start to maybe you start to whittle down your focus on not necessarily the methods themselves or the tools themselves but the underlying principles of why these things and work. And you're only going to access that by embracing and almost intentionally introducing problems yes. that you have to solve. And, and that's like a fundamental mind shift that I've had to go through probably a few times to understand that, oh no, problems are a good thing because that is an opportunity to solve them and prove what I learn and understand more from that, yes. right? And so that's a, actually kind of goes into another question I want to ask you about, um, about kind of like what is the optimal training condition look like in general? I know that's kind of a broad question, but it kind of gets. What into do you mean by training condition? So and see that you're already kind of answering my question, I think, because a lot of times I think people think optimal is like free of problems, free of obstacles, free of any kind of resistance, like. For example, in, in like physics, the, the optimal condition, if you will, is always like a perfectly smooth, frictionless surface with like no gravity or, you know, things like that. Like these impossible like in a vacuum. Yeah, these impossible idea. ideals of mm. scenarios and environments yeah. that simplify things to the point where you feel good about solving the little problems, even though realistically that ain't gonna do diddly mm. squat in okay. the real world, right? Okay. So so where is kind of like real world and obviously it depends on your goals, but like kind of what's like the optimal real world condition for like actually getting better and stronger or achieving an actual I see goal. What you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, here's the fun answer that everyone in the fitness industry loves to throw around. It depends. I hate you. Right? I hate you so much. <laughs> but most people stop there. Right. It depends on what, right? Everything is so very context dependent. So, Optimal, I think, is very different than, like, ideal. Mm. That's so an important distinction, yeah. this ideal, this perfect world of, if everything goes right, this is the world that that exists in. And so you have, this, this is usually what you learn in school, in textbooks, and stuff like that, is ideal, right? You have these programs where, you know, it's like, let's say this is a, it's a 12-week program, three-day-a-week workouts. They're an hour long. And there's, you know, each workout builds on the last. And you're progressively overloading week after week. It's this linear progression. Boom, 12 weeks, you're stronger, right? Or whatever. But that just doesn't account for, like, life in general mm -hmm. where... There's no such thing as ideal for the application of real life. 100%. Because, first of all, human beings are by far the most complex thing that exists in the universe, like that we know of at least. Like, it, it's inconceivably complex to the point where we know a lot about the human body by now, but I don't think we've really even scratched the surface on what we really know. Mm -hmm. what we like really actually understand right mm -hmm. compound that in a world where there's a bajillion other human beings in a world where there's just 
so much other stuff going on. The amount of chaos and variability is absurd. And so you can take your pretty little 12-week perfectly outlined little program paper and burn it to ashes. <laughs> to ashes. Because <laughs> that's great in theory. And it's important to understand the theoretical way that these things, quote unquote, work. Right. It's like a, a little right. guiding principle to get you started. But ever. Exactly. It's a starting point. It's a trajectory. But you need to be able to adjust things on the fly because there's no such thing as an optimal scenario, an optimal condition. And that's going to be different for everyone, too. So there's no ideal condition. Optimal is going to be what's going to work best for that person on that day in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And so... That is the art part of like coaching is figuring out what's gonna actually help you move that needle forward in a meaningful way, right here, right now, with who you are as a person now, with what you have going on in your life now, right? Mm -hmm. Like my previous example of somebody who came in fresh, a lot of sleep, they feel great, versus somebody who like just had a kid and their kid just kept them up all night long. They can't control that, but it happened. And now you have to deal with that. So they're, you know, they're not optimal. And it's like people are going to miss workouts because work comes up or right. something in life happens or, you know, they have to cut out 20 minutes short today because they have a meeting that their mm-hmm. boss just called. And, like, like they're only you know, able to work out when conditions are optimal in their mind. Yeah. But I, I think optimal is really just making the best of the suboptimal situation that you're Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And I think too, like, Absolutely. There, there is a case to be made that suboptimal training conditions are actually optimal for performance results because if you can do something in a quote-unquote suboptimal scenario that's harder or whatever like what happens when you go to the perfect competition i closer to ideal scenario it's like you're just going to tear it up absolutely and that is totally applicable i think in the gym setting too because like you know a lot of people take it as like black or white it's like on or off right it's like if there we go if my workout isn't going to be perfect i might as well just not even do it right it's like no it's a spectrum a little bit is better than nothing it's a spectrum and a process yeah right and so people will you know complain about oh i'm tired today i don't really feel like working out and it's kind of cold today i don't think i'm going to get that great of a workout because i'm not going to be as warmed up and like all that stuff um I don't have access to my normal gym today, so I have to just do body weight stuff today. It's just not gonna be, it's not gonna get me the results I'm really looking for, so I'm just not even gonna bother with it Mm because it's not gonna be that great. However, if you can find a way to still get your workout in even though you're tired, even though you're, it's a little chilly today, put a jacket on. And even if you have to do a body weight, if you can still figure out how to get a good solid workout in, given the constraints of those conditions, then imagine what you can do when you have a full gym 100%. on a warm day and you feel great. I think I think that's like 80% of resilience in general is just showing up no matter what. Yeah. Dave, David Goggins, like, well, he's obviously the, the king of this kind of stuff as well, but I recently just read um, his second book, Never Finished. And, like, it just kind of made me realize, like, the dude never does anything when he's 100%. Like, he's always hurt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's always recovering from some stupid thing he's done the week before. And then he's just like, ah, but this 100-mile race has happened. Ah, all right, I'll do it. It's like he never second guesses 
what he doesn't negotiate the condition of his body with the quality of his performance. Correct. And how much he shows up. There's no negotiation. It just is. Yeah. He's just going to deal with however his body feels, the cycles of that up and down. Definitely. It doesn't matter. He's just going to show up regardless because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And people usually wait for the right time to do something. Never happens. Or the Never optimal comes. state. I'm waiting for till I feel at my best to do this. You're never going to feel that I'll way. I'll go to the hospital when I'm healthy. You're, you're just, it's never <laughs> going to come. It's never going to be the right time. You right. have to just do it, right? And people also, I think, wait till they feel motivated to do something to act on it mm. because they they want to be motivated to then like take action, to then get results. Right, because it's uncomfortable to do but, things that you don't want to do. Like, just straight up. The problem is you got to like turn and shift that to take action first get results that will then motivate you to keep doing it right and it's like motivation is an interesting word because there's so much connotation around it in mm. certain it depends on who you talk to but i guess if you're talking about the motivation of like feeling excited about something making you want to go do it right that type of motivation is so incredibly fleeting and it comes and it goes on a whim right it's not a sustainable driving force you're never gonna be able to use that or leverage that to any level of consistency required for right any meaningful results. because one day you're gonna be motivated you're gonna go to the gym you're gonna crush it and then for the next 30 days you're just not gonna feel that motivated so you're just not gonna do it and so you and have to trade well, yeah. motivation for discipline mm. right whereas if you're disciplined if you decide that i'm gonna lose 30 pounds whatever insert generic goal right then you have to commit right and you have to it's a conscious decision right yeah i am going to get up today and i'm going to go work out because that is a step towards my goal right rather than saying i'm going to get up today and do i feel like working out today or not Mm -hmm. am i motivated enough to work out today or not it's like, mm-hmm. no, this is a necessary step for me to reach my goal. So I'm going to do it regardless of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Because people run too much off emotions. They make decisions off emotions. Which, if you go really into the neuroscience, you actually can't make a decision without your emotional brain. Like, that is what actually makes a decision. However... But macro versus micro, like, yes. long-term versus short-term. Yes. What's going to give you that ultimate fulfillment of actually growing into the person that you've decided you want to be? Yes. And it comes with a decision of, like... This is who I want to become. This is the type of person I want to be. That's another thing that people don't really understand. They're like, I want to lose weight. I want to get stronger. I want to feel better. Instead of saying, I want to be a healthy person. I want to be an active person. Well, it just comes back to the... And Go ahead. That, that You start to identify with that identity. Right. Of like, I am a healthy person. And a healthy person works out. Mm-hmm. Right? So you get your brain to start associating these things with, if I make this decision, I am aligned with who I am as a person. 100%. Versus just being, do I feel like doing it today? Do mm-hmm. I not feel like doing it today? And it all just comes back to the thing I talked about a while ago is just attachment to the process and the growth that comes and not the results. Because goals are great. They're a great starting point. But there's way too many people who are just attached to that goal. And then they attach their self-worth to that goal. 
right? It's very results oriented. And then their entire like self-worth and self-esteem is contingent on whether or not they achieve that goal, right? If they did, great. That means they're all of a sudden a great person. Just binary, they're good. If they don't, they're trash. Just immediately. Mm -hmm. There's no room for growth or process or any of that spectrum in between, right? So, So it's just detaching from those results and attaching yourself to becoming and actually embodying, like you said, that identity of I do these things because that's who I am. That's what this person is. I've already decided I'm a healthy person. So that's my decision filter of what a healthy person does. Okay, awesome. And then just falling in love with that process. Like you've already scripted the outcome. You've already decided, you've committed yeah. that's going to happen. And just fall in love with the process. And it will happen. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess it's easy for us to sit here and say to fall in love with the process because like we... Well, that's a general fit. principle that extends beyond just fitness. Like, yes, it's easy for me to fall in love with the process of fitness because I've yeah. already kind of done that. But there's a bunch of other processes that I haven't fallen in love with yet, you know? So no, it's always sure. just kind of the, 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 the process of aligning with the process. But then you know? I guess how, how does one go about falling in love with the process? Mm. It's, it's, it, that's a great question. And it's pretty tricky. I think it's also easier to just kind of sit here and talk about it. And, and it's a very different story to actually kind of like go through that process itself. But that being said, it's a lot of it comes down to the decision of what you're going to tolerate, I think, with your life. And a lot of that comes from a self-awareness. So it's like a, a, a lot of layers and, and sequence of events that has to happen. So like first off, you have to kind of like understand your own mortality and understand mm-hmm. that your time is limited and you're not going to get another chance at this moment ever, right? This is the youngest I'm ever going to be. And you have to really kind of get that through your head. And then figure out, okay, what do I want to, what do I want out of this experience, right? Mm-hmm. What am I going to tolerate? Am I okay with not doing this thing? Am I okay with that? Mm-hmm. Am I okay with not even trying? Am I going to look back and regret that? You know, so then it kind of leads you down the road of like, okay, how can I minimize the regret? That's kind of like at least the process that I use because regret is awful and I hate it. And that's kind of one of the, the big things that as long as I avoid regret, I'm generally fulfilled with what I've done. Right. So that kind of leads you down that process of, okay, now I'm minimizing regret. I'm using that as my decision filter. And that kind of goes in parallel with figuring out who you want to be and having clarity around that and then committing full out to that. As soon, Cause as soon as you really get to the point where you have the self-awareness, where you're ready to make that commitment, cause you can't just start from there. I really don't think you can. And it's, it's hard to like really understand when you're ready for that, but once you fully commit and burn the boats, you've already decided that's what's going to happen because I'm either going to get there or I'm going to die. That's the intensity that you need in order to really make that happen. Hmm. And, and that really just comes from self-awareness and clarity. Yeah. And understanding that, no, this is it. I'm not going to tolerate any less. I'm not going to wait any longer to live the life I say I want. Because that's just a question you got to ask yourself. Like, how long are you going to wait? Yeah. Is it going to be today? One more day. Oh, it's fine. Is that good enough for you? Really? Is it? I don't think so. And I think if you all like really look in your heart, like you know what you need to do. Everyone, generally speaking, at least knows how to make progress. They might not be an expert, but but it's no longer a valid excuse to just say, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. That's why I don't do it. 
like, well, no, if you actually thought about it, gun to your head, what's a step I could take that makes me progress towards that goal? Or I pull this trigger. You're going to think of something, right? Like just back on the fitness, you know, like everyone knows generally what to do. Like, oh, eat healthy, eat whole foods, work out, do stuff, move around. You know, like just very basic principles like that. That's going to get you closer, right? Mm -hmm. But no one does it. They know what to do. They don't do what they know. You know, they always like, you know, everyone says like practice what you preach, but you also got to like actually do that. And then also like become embodying the identity to where you actually preach what you practice. So there's alignment both ways. Right. And that's just kind of like how that process starts of you becoming. And now your identity is attached to how you live and the process and mm how you're growing and not on the results that you have not how much weight you lost in a certain amount of time not how fast you can run but just because oh i'm a runner and i'm i'm i'm, I'm a runner that gets better that's it that's 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 enough for your fulfillment once you start embodying that identity mm. i think that's pretty fire because back on the point that you just said about most people know what they should be doing to move to at least towards a goal that's where, when it comes to especially something like personal training, that's another part of the individualization that people miss is like, they think that they need to be able to create this workout program that's so tailored to this person that's they have all these, you know, great it's exercises. Perfect. It's perfect. They have these special exercises that are going to be better than other exercises that get you results faster because these exercises are better and right. this you're, particular you're diet get, is better. You're trying to get to the end point in one line and like just straight from zero to hero, no side stops or whatever. Well, they think that they need some special thing to differentiate themselves or to ah. get the somebody going in the right direction. But it's like at the end of the day, the person already knows what they need to do so you don't necessarily need to tell them they should exercise it's getting them to actually execute on that that's the money right how well can you get what you want for that person to become something that they want for themselves mm. right and it's that connection that really matters mm -hmm. so one thing that i think is really important is connecting their goal to like a, a deeper why like why do they actually want to lose five pounds ten pounds that's huge right it's like well you need to start to dive into them as a human for a little bit here as like okay they maybe it's something like they just got divorced or something and now they feel super self-conscious about themselves they feel horrible and they want to regain some self-confidence in themselves or maybe it's because um, they have a hard time being on the ground playing with their grandkids and they want to play with their grandkids more. So it's, it's less about losing the weight and it's more about we want to get you to be able to play with your grandkids again or we mm -hmm. want to restore your confidence in yourself mm -hmm. again. It's like connected to those bigger things right? because those are the things that align with their personal values as a human. And so that's something they really believe in and so they are much more likely to stay disciplined when things get hard if they have a bigger reason for doing it than They're if just it's just the weight or right. the whatever, right? Mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. 
as long as your reason is bigger than your excuses, like you'll never fail, right? Because you'll never quit. Exactly. And by definition, People, you won't fail if you don't quit. Everything in life, every decision you have to make is a cost-benefit analysis that your, your brain makes. And so the reason people quit when things get hard is because they would, like, they don't want the goal more than they don't want the suffering. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Totally. It's like the suffering has outweighed their desire for the goal, and so they quit. As mm -hmm. soon as that happens, that threshold, boom, they quit. They stop. When things get too hard, they stop. Mm -hmm. However, if that goal is so meaningful for them that it's way up here, really high, there's a lot of room to work. There, they have a lot of tolerance now for pain and suffering and just like overcoming obstacles that are challenging because it is meaningful to them. But on the other side of the coin too, I think like what you just described, a lot of people kind of view that as an always negative thing, right? But it's just... I think of it as a pretty neutral thing and you can actually leverage that for good as well by making the cost benefit analysis like your threshold for that very very low for things that you've actively decided you want to avoid mm -hmm. right sure and it, it, it because it's the same mechanism mm -hmm. right and and as long as like something like that or or some kind of setback or difficulty or negative self-talk or whatever like that like your tolerance for that becomes so low that that becomes the trigger to to loop back to reminding you of your why. Yes. Right? And, and then just realigning you back on that direction because that's kind of the whole point of like when you decide something, like the root etymology of that word decide is like decide, decadere, is like to cut away. Mm -hmm. Right? So so you're, you, you have to focus, right? Yep. And you are cutting away, like every time you make a decision, you're either cutting away the dreams for the future that you want or you're cutting away the life that has gotten you to this point before that you're not satisfied with right yes and in order to do that you just have to be conscious and adjust those thresholds mm -hmm. for where the pain of change outweighs the pain of success or vice versa and and apply those strategically in every area of your life so that the results is basically you're just focusing more time and attention on that which moves you closer to your goal. Exactly. Right? Because if you take enough steps that move you closer to your goal, you're eventually going to get there. Mm -hmm. Right? It doesn't matter how big that step is, how straight that step is, how perfect it is. But as long as you're kind of looking and be like, well, that's probably going to get me closer. And you do it. Yeah. And it doesn't get you to your goal. Are you just going to be disappointed? No. You made a step. You did it. Yeah. Keep taking those steps. You'll eventually get there. Exactly. And... The idea of like a taking a small step forward is awesome because that's like achievable for somebody. Another way that's helpful. It's consistent. You can always make small steps. Exa exactly. And so it's like it's helpful for people to take a big goal that seems really intimidating and break it up into smaller, more achievable, just bite-sized mm -hmm. chunks. Because then your brain sees those as achievable. And so it is actually more motivated to do those because it thinks it can realistically achieve that. And then you take one step, you achieve that, boom, bang. Mm -hmm. Next one, you achieve that, bang. Next one, next one, next one. Mm -hmm. You just you got to stack wins. Right. That also just trains wins. you to to win, basically. Like, Well, exactly. Because the more you start to do that, the more confidence you build in your ability to make progress and your ability to achieve what achieve you say you're going to achieve. Right? right. And so people think they need to just snap their fingers and immediately get to their goal. 
and it's like if that doesn't happen they're a failure but it's like what's bigger like a pile of boulders or a mountain of sand right the mountain of sand is bigger even though the constituent parts are smaller right so it's like you don't necessarily need to move these huge giant boulders to build this mountain it's like all you need to do is stack little grains of sand but you stack enough of them basically the most successful people have stacked the most sand mm. they've stacked the most little wins at the end of the day stack your sand and that's how close you're gonna that's how you're gonna get up higher to your goal is stack the little the little wins i actually really like that analogy but I haven't heard that before, so I thought you were going to like pull like, which is heavier, a pound of feathers or a pound of iron kind of thing. No. And I was like, no, 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 no. What, I was going to clown you for that. This is just I something that good to go. conceptualizes it for no, me. No, that's actually super simple because you're right. Like, boulders, they're big. You go, it's hard to move. Like, one boulder, you can't move that. It's not even a mountain, though. Right. Like, it's small comparatively, but it's still too big for you to move. Yep. But sand, oh, yeah, you can, you can huck handfuls of that at a time somehow. Yep. And eventually, oh, look, you have a mountain. Yeah. You ever seen pictures of, like, the desert? There's giant <laughs> mountains of it. You ever seen the desert? Right? <laughs> but it's like, that's just the thing. It's like something that when you see the completed product from a from an outside perspective, it seems impossible. It seems mm -hmm. like there's no way I could make that. Mm -hmm. There's no way I could achieve that. You see somebody who's, you know, doing these crazy feats of fitness, and you're like, I could never do that. Well, you've already made that decision in that moment. Yeah. And also... That person may have started exactly where you are, but they decided to try. And they've stacked a bunch of sand to where now it's a giant mountain of sand, which looks inconceivably hard to do, mm -hmm. but they've just stacked a little sand for years and now they're there. 100%. And, and that's what I really appreciate so much about like fitness and strength and the physical body in general is it's one of the most like consistent things to work on, if you will, or at least it, it's something that you can achieve and has very high likelihood of success because there's a lot less like variables of quote unquote luck per se. You know, like, like you mm. said before, like the human body, like everyone's got a human body. It's pretty much the same. You're, if you apply a certain stimulus, you're going to get a response. Yeah. And it's pretty consistent what that response yeah. is. Yep, yep, yep. Maybe not to the extent, but it's going to be in the right direction. Right. So it's very, very predictable. Like, hey, if you just keep trying, like show up, yeah, lift, pick up, pick up big rocks and put them down again. You're gonna get strong. You're gonna get big. You're gonna lose weight. You're gonna look good. Basically, like it's pretty assured. It's one of the most assured goals and achievable goals to set, just because of how the human body works. Yes, it's the only, or I guess the biggest differentiator is like genetics, but mm. genetics just determines the extent of the response to the stimulus, not necessarily if there is going to be a response. Right. Like right, there's right. certain underlying fundamental principles of fitness and exercise and like physiology at a human level that it's like you pull this lever, this response is going to happen because that's just how the human body works. Now, again, level. there's variability between human to human genetically, right? So of course there's going to be differences in how well you respond to certain things. So the game is about finding the levers that help you respond the best. But at the end of the day, you just got to keep pulling levers until you build up enough sand that you have a mountain. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. it is an inevitable success to become fit as long as you keep showing up. If you keep doing the things and you keep building off those things, it doesn't matter where you start. 
it's like different people have different starting points, but as long as you continue to progress, you will get better and you will eventually get where you want to go if you can stack enough sand. Like that's just the thing. Dude, we're going to get canceled on like the third episode here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> cool. Cool. Let's do it. Do it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right because the physicality of your body kind of necessitates that mm-hmm. to happen, right? The only difference really, like, yeah, obviously genetics, but the big difference I see is just just, just people's mentalities and their yeah. philosophies and, and their reasons why and we're going to use the word mindset, but the mindset that they have yeah. towards it, right? And, like, their willingness to, like, do hard stuff and, like, even their, their, through their stuff, you know, perception of how possible it is to change. Facts. Four-minute mile, best example ever, right? Four-minute mile was unachievable for a mm-hmm. long time mm-hmm. people would run a mile just over four minutes and they'd be getting closer and closer but no one could do it until that one guy I forget his name ran under a four minute mile and then bang everyone started doing it yeah it's like the next week because your perception is just shattered of like now you you have redefined what is possible and so now it becomes realistic because it's like oh he did it. I'm a human. I can do it too. You go and do it. Yeah. So the mind is so powerful. 100%. Like sometimes that's all it takes is to um, is just see someone do it just to reaffirm to you that it's physically possible yeah. by the laws of physics. Yep. And then it unlocks your mind to unlock your body to actually do it. Yeah. Right. Because if, um, if you don't think something's possible, you're not really going to try for it as hard because you think it's a waste of resources. Right. But Roger, once you see that it is possible. Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister. 1953. There you yep. go. 359. What did he? Broke the four-minute mile, and then after that, more people started doing it like, because they're like, "Oh, it is possible." And, and, and so that, it. and that's why, um, like, history belongs to the first, because they're the ones that believed without needing someone else to show you. They the had way. faith. They had faith. They had faith they in were, their own capabilities. They were the pathfinders. They were the pioneers. They are the legends that really deserve the history books because they did what they didn't even know was possible. Exactly. And they had faith to keep trying. So awesome. It's super cool. Yeah. But but you I gotta respect it too because like it's scary because what if it isn't possible? You know, you're at that point. Yeah. Maybe you're running your miles like three fifty or something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what if I'm not gonna make? It? What if it's just not possible? Yep. Why even try then if it's physically not possible? You're just wasting time. Like, those are thoughts that have to be going through your head, but you're just like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Yep. You make it happen. Because he probably loved the process of he loved running, running, and he was just trying to run faster. That was mm-hmm. his only goal, mm-hmm. run faster. And, and so I think that's a very important lesson in there, too, is, like, try to isolate the process that you love that as long as you keep getting better, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit better, you're going to achieve the impossible. Impossible. If you just keep stacking sand, that mountain can get real high real fast. If you just love that fast. process. Yep. So I think it might be important to start to maybe like extract some of those underlying principles of like what are the levers that you can pull with exercise? Like what are the different variables you can manipulate? What are some of the things that work across the board in mm-hmm. terms of like doesn't matter who you are. These are some things that are going to apply to you on how to get better right. with exercise. And it's probably kind of apply to every getting better at anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me is just like progressive overload right it is the simplest most fundamental underlying principle of like all fitness and by progressive overload i just mean over time you are doing more it's literally it and so 
a good example of this is like, for those of y'all who drink coffee, you know, in the beginning you drink one cup of coffee and you get hype, right? You're white. Because caffeine just zing, gets you going. And so you get, you get that, that stimulus. Um, and then after a little while, that same cup of coffee don't get you so hyped no more, right? So you need a little bit more coffee now to get the same response. Because you built a tolerance. You have built a tolerance Hedonic to the stimulus yeah. of coffee, right? And so that is progressive overload. So to get the same result, you now need more. To get the same result, you now need more. And then over time, that's it. But for exercise, that's what we want. We want your body to build a tolerance to the stress of exercise. And once it's built as stress, that same amount of exercise is not gonna cause the same amount of change. So let's say you do 10 squats with 20 pounds, okay? In the beginning, you get a little stronger. And then after a while, that same amount of weight for the same amount of reps is not gonna cut it anymore. It's not gonna push you forward. You're not gonna get any stronger. So what do you have to do? You either have to do more squats or do it with more weight. Mm -hmm. You have to add more coffee, essentially, to the mix in order to continue. Now you get stronger again. And then you stop because you have adapted to it. And then you have to add again some more. Mm -hmm. And then you get stronger a bit until you adapt to it again. It's just this process of stimulus, adaptation, stimulus, adaptation, stimulus, mm -hmm. adaptation. So that stimulus over time has to get louder, essentially. That signal that you're sending your body has to get louder and more intense to continue to drive the progress Because it's relative. It's all relative. 100%. And so that, that is probably the most fundamental thing. That's how you get better at anything. You, mm -hmm. just, you continually challenge yourself and do a little more, a little more, a little more over time. But you also have to make sure, though, that it's not too much. Correct. Right? Absolutely. There's a sweet spot. Because mm -hmm. like, you're not going to like get an absolute beginner yep. and have them squat 250 pounds. It's just not going to happen. No. No. Like hardly at all. Like It's just not going to happen. No. And so you know, there's a sweet spot of just outside your comfort zone enough to cause a change but not enough to overwhelm right and so there is that sweet spot outside your comfort zone of what's enough stimulus to cause a change but not too much that so you're gonna hit a wall is that i mean obviously it's true for like muscles right it's pretty pretty obvious at this point but is that also true for things like like connective tissues or bone density because i know a lot of people they like denounce certain exercises like squats and deadlifts because of the quote-unquote unnecessary stress that puts on certain joints or your spine or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then they think like, well, that's not healthy. The, my, the point of exercising is to just like look good, live a long, healthy life, and it's just not worth it to cause potential damage to those joints just to live a big, lift a big heavy, heavy, uh, heavy weight at the gym, right? Like what do you say about that? Hot take. Hot take. There is no such thing as a bad or dangerous exercise. Love that. Explain. There is, however, such a thing as an exercise, a movement, or a position that your body was not yet prepared for. Not yet prepared for. So it is a spectrum of preparedness. It is mm. a spectrum of stress, right? So first of all, something you've got to understand is your body is an adaptation machine. Like that's our superpower as a human is we can adapt to anything, right? And so for the people who say like, you have to be kind of gentle with your body or like it's fragile or you're gonna break it if you do something crazy it's like your body is not fragile first of all like it is very robust and capable if you allow it to be and if you create the proper environment to cultivate its growth and so 
And that is not to say, go do some dumb stuff. And like, if you've never deadlifted in your life, go try to deadlift 400 pounds and like do some crazy stuff like that. No, apply some common sense to everything that I'm about to say, okay? But in terms of the idea of a bad exercise, if your body can move a certain way, you probably should prepare it to do so. Because eventually at some point in your life, you might have to go there, right? Like the, the common one is like letting your knees go past your toes when you squat, mm. right? And people are like, oh, it's bad for your knees. It's like, why? They'll say, oh, puts too much stress on your knees. Or like okay. they notice that more injuries happen because someone put their knees over their toes. Sure. So therefore just avoid it entirely. But why? Because it stresses your knee. Cool. How do you get something stronger? You stress By that stressing thing. it. Right? But by progressively overloading it, right? By slowly but surely over time adding more stress to the system, letting it adapt to it, and then adding a little more and letting it adapt to that, right? It's mm -hmm. this graded exposure to those trickier positions that creates a tolerance to those positions. Just like if I were to go out, like someone who doesn't ever drink coffee goes out and chugs like six cups of coffee, that's not good. But there's plenty of people out there who drink six cups of coffee and are fine. Why? They because still they've, take naps. they've built up to that. Yeah. They've built up to that, right? So you have to build into these trickier positions or these more stressful movements but that does no way mean you should exclude them because it's sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy of avoid this position because it causes injury well the only reason it now is going to cause you injury is because you never expose your body to yeah. it yeah right? no the, so, the same thing especially with like the knees over toes example like that never made sense because like oh because people always said like, oh, because like a lot of people get injured in that position. So we're just going to avoid entirely. It's like, well, shouldn't we train that to get stronger so that when we're in that position, either in performance, in a sport, mm -hmm. actively using it with a lot of stress, like we'll be able to handle it more. Exactly. It's like that. Um, it just kind of reminds me of, man, I'm gonna have to look up the name. I'm really bad with this with the spot, but there's like a statistical principle of, so the example is like the story they tell is like, oh, they sent out a bunch of planes from like World War II on a mission, right? Yes. And a few came yes. back. Right, like only a few came back, and and the ones they looked at it had like bullet holes in certain places on the wing and the tail and the fuselage, right? And like ah, look at the damage we sustained. Let's reinforce those. Let's reinforce the places with the bullet holes because they're getting shot there. Yeah, which is obvious. It makes sense. Like oh okay yeah sure. Until you think a little deeper, it's like wait, these are the ones that came back. We know these planes can fly with damage to those spots because they came back, right? What about what? And, it, and it's a little hard to know what the ones that didn't come back looked like, right? But you can kind of assume that, oh, what if maybe they got shot in the places that the planes that did come back did not get shot in, right? So maybe you should be reinforcing the places that did not get shot with the one with the data that you have with the planes that came back, right? Yes. Because those are more likely to be more um, necessary for the operation and the flight of the plane. Yes. So let's reinforce that and not worry about the places that clearly can take damage and it doesn't matter. Yes. Right. I, it, it's very, very similar to that kind of principle. So that's what I refer to as like your blind spots. Mm. Right. It's aspects of your fitness that you don't really ever train and you do not have a good sufficient capacity in. Yeah. And so 
you can apply that to different movements, different positions, different physical qualities like strength or endurance or stamina or those types of things. Um, but it's like the way that I view training for most people, if you're, especially if you're talking about like general fitness people or athletes who need a robust, robust capacity, um, you want to start to eliminate blind spots, right? Because it's inevitable that you're gonna get exposed to those blind spots maybe at some point in life or sport. Mm-hmm. And so you wanna have a capacity to handle that so it's not a surprise 100%. when you get there, right? It's like eliminate the blind spots so that you are a more well-rounded human. It's like yeah. you can apply the principle of like the Renaissance man or having a very well-rounded base. You have no blind spots now. You can uh, you can apply that to fitness. And it's like I think it is very useful and very, I don't know, important is maybe a very subjective word, but I think it's very useful for a lot of people and a lot of goals to kind of get strong, get as strong as possible in as many different ways as possible. Because you're resilient to more things now. Yes. You're much and, more well-rounded. The, the principle we were talking about before with the statistics and the airplanes, and that's called it's survivorship bias. Survivorship bias. Where it's like, oh, you make it, you succeed at something, you don't die, you survive, and then you kind of assume that everything that you did was necessary to survive, so you just tell everyone, this is what it takes. Yeah, right. It's like, it's like because well, of what you so did that you survived. There's so many factors, yeah. and other people may be more qualified than you, maybe more capable than you. Something else happened they, that they weren't prepared for, whatever, that you just don't know about, yeah. never made it, and they're not the ones talking about it. Yep. Right? So they're always, an, it's just another cognitive dissonance you kind of have to be yep. aware of as you're kind of navigating these yeah. issues. So basically, it's like if there's a position or a movement with exercise that you're afraid of, Go train that. You should do Go that. find a way to build up a tolerance to that so mm-hmm. that doesn't scare you anymore. Because and this also ties into like exercise execution and like the whole, you know, debate on like proper form and technique when exercising. Another hot take. Having proper form is not so that you don't get hurt. And a lot of people are like, have good form so you don't get injured, right? It's like, that's a very surface level comment. Like, sure, there are conditions where that would make sense. Yes, of <laughs> course. Everything is a spectrum, and stress is the spectrum that you look at with exercise and injury. Something, it, let's talk about like tissue injuries specifically. I'm not talking like brain injuries or like something like that, even though it still applies to that. But when you get hurt, that just means that the tissue that got injured took on more force than it was capable of withstanding, and it got injured. Okay. I mean, pretty. Straightforward. Just like just the threshold. Basically, that's the principle of injury. Right. So there are two ways to make sure that it doesn't happen. One, make that area more resilient to stress, basically like stronger so it can withstand more stress. And two, figure out a way for the body to work together in a way that distributes stress around that area so it doesn't get isolated Mm. to one point. So when we talk about injury, we want to essentially think about like a palm tree. Have you ever seen a palm tree like in a storm? Yeah, they're flexible as heck, man. Right? So they're bending and going back and forth, but they don't snap because they are built and they bend in such a way that it distributes the stress across the whole trunk of the palm tree. So no one area gets too much stress. Mm -hmm. Right? 
So that's kind of what we're thinking about when we talk about biomechanics and injuries is like how can we distribute stress across the whole system so that it doesn't get isolated too much to one point. Gotcha. At the same time, you also have to address the tissue tolerance because it's inevitable at some point that there's gonna be a lot of stress on that area if you do like life or sports or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we still want the parts to be stronger, but you want the whole to be strong as well. So it's about zooming in and zooming out, isolate the part to strengthen that, but then zoom out and how do those parts play together, it integrate, integrate yeah. it into the whole system. So when we talk about form and technique in exercise, yes, it is helpful in mitigating injury, but only because it is distributing stress in a very particular way. Right. It's so mechanically optimal. Really, the point about standardizing form on an exercise is there to create repeatability of stress mm. to standardize the exercise for long-term progress or at least that's one of the most useful parts of standardizing technique i think and it makes so, sense yeah. like let's say let's take a deadlift for instance because that's a very common one right some common form checks that you'll hear for a deadlift is like keeping your back flat right something like that um and a lot of people say that's so that you don't like hurt your back or blow out a disc or something crazy like that. We'll get to why maybe that's not as important in a second, but the reason you want your technique to be the same rep after rep, set after set, week after week, is because when you get into a certain position with your back flat and your hips down and stuff like that in a deadlift, like if you've ever done a deadlift, you know what this looks like. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a certain position, certain tissues certain parts of your body are put under more tension than other parts yeah you're distributing the force and the load in a very particular way yes so that certain muscles and that is why work more than others. certain exercises work different parts of your body than others is because the load relative to the position you're it's, in stresses certain parts of your body it more sounds than so obvious that you say it that way but that is a very different way of like understanding even like just the basic question of like, why do we do the different exercises? That's the only reason. That's it. Is because the position that those exercises put you in relative to the load placed on your body stresses certain parts of your body more than more than others. Notice I say more than others because it's a spectrum. Yeah, more stress, less like stress. Completely isolate. You can't isolate anything unless you cut your arm off. But then what's the point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when you standardize the form on something, you you standardize where the tension is where the load is, what's getting stressed. So that next week, when you add a rep, repeatable or when and intentional. you add weight, the same tissues, the same parts of your body are experiencing the progressive overload. As opposed to if you do the form slightly different next time, different parts of your body you're are never, experiencing yeah. that load and it's not as standardized. And you're never gonna get that progressive overload because no one thing is right. repeatedly getting hammered and told to grow and grow, basically. Yes, now of course, this becomes something that you can take too far as well that like how much that really matters like there's give and take it's a spectrum as well that's the other thing everything exists on a spectrum and so you can worry too much about your form and technique right to the point where you can only do that and you're only strong in those positions well that and also like people will start to worry when their technique starts to break down as they go through a, a hard set of exercise, like let's say you're doing your deadlifts, rep one looks great, rep two, rep three, rep four look exactly the same, rep five, six, seven, eight, 
start to look a little different and then you worry about oh now i'm gonna get hurt because mm-hmm. my form is bad or now it's bad look biomechanics meaning visually how we move it is a snapshot of the body choosing what it thinks is the most efficient strategy to achieve a goal or an outcome or a task. So like this goes beyond the idea of like biomechanics and form and technique for injury. It's like the body is selecting a strategy. And so the body is very goal oriented, right? If you tell it, pick this heavy bar up off the ground, it's going to find a way to pick the bar up off the ground, right? And whether it rounds your back, whether it arches the back, whether it hips shoot up, whether you stand up straight, like the body's going to select the strategy, the movement path that it feels is most appropriate for the given context. Mm -hmm. What it feels it is strongest at and is most efficient, like energy efficient. Right. Okay. And so that's where like technique comes in a little bit to standardize where the stress is going. Um, and also you're picking different types of exercises using different form on different exercises and things so that you can start to progressively give the body more and more variation of strategies to pick from now Mm. you're creating variability you're creating different movement options for the body to select for different tasks now because you're strengthening different options with different exercises and different techniques so now the body feels comfortable using various strategies so it's like this has more data imagine if you're trying to drive from like here to la or something like that like a distance but you only know like one road to get there. That's the only road you're ever going to take, right? So what happens if there's a traffic jam on that road? Yeah, you're or that mercy. road closes you're or something like that. You're at the mercy like of whatever that road. Right? Well, you're contingent. You're at the mercy of, and contingent on the fact that the road is there and working basically the yes. way you want it to. So let's say you only know one road. That's the only road you're going to take. If that gets like traffic jam or closed or something like that, Either you're just not going to get to L.A. anymore or it's not going to be a very fun time getting there. Right. However, if you know five different roads to get from here to L.A., if that road's closed, no problem. You can select a different one. You can select a different one. They might take a little longer. They might not be the optimal or ideal road under in a vacuum, but given the context, they're better. So the idea of variability is also important, I think, with exercise and giving people movement options, Right strengthening different roads, different paths to accomplish the same task so that they have these different options to pull from. Because at the end of the day, subconsciously, your brain is going to select the task that it feels is best, Mm. especially if things get really hard, like they're heavy or there's speed involved, or you're not really thinking about it like in everyday life. Like if you go walking across the street and all of a sudden a bus is coming and you have to stop and change direction and get out of the way, you're not going to be thinking about, is my knee going over my toe? Is my whatever happening? It's like, no, your body's going to select the strategy that it thinks is appropriate so you don't die. It's going to do what it has to do to get the job done. Your body's smart. Right? Your body is way smarter than you are. And, you know. And so, 
the body's just gonna select what it feels is appropriate, so we want to be able to give it variability and the ability to have different options. And so that's why applying the sort of Renaissance man variability idea to exercise, I think is important too, is getting as strong as you can in as many different possible ways as you can. Um, and exposing yourself to positions that you're scared of, because if you're scared of it, mm -hmm. you're never gonna go there. And then when you accidentally go there, you are more likely to get injured only because those tissues are less exposed to stress. They don't have the capability to handle it, right? So also with like something like a deadlift, people say, you know, you can't have a rounded back when you deadlift or anything like that, like, cause you're gonna blow a disc and whatever. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of that is taken from like these studies that they've done with like vertebrae that they've taken out of living organisms. Well, there's your problem like, already. No contact spines, usually. literally in a vacuum and stuff like that. And they stack them on top of each other and like see how much compressive force it takes to like snap them, see how much they can bend it before it snaps, different things like that. And they're like, okay, this is the capacity of a human spine. It's like, first of all, it's well, a pig spine. Second isolation. of all, in isolation without living tissue around it and without the ability to adapt over time to progressive overload. So that provides a ton of extra structure already, just the muscular and tissue structure around it, just the tensegrity structure of your body provides so much extra yes. ability so to offload that weight. Your bones, first of all, none of your bones are touching, right? So your bones are not stacked on one another at all. So first of all, get, get that idea out of your head, but your bones are suspended in space by your muscles, your connective tissue, fluid, and things like that, that are creating this integrated system of tension and pressure, right? So your spine, there's a lot of different muscles and connective tissue and fascia and all stuff that connects to your spine that's pulling on it in different ways, helping it stay upright and suspended in this fluid bag of your body, right? And then you also have fluid around it in your joints and in your tissues that can shift pressure around, like, hydro like literally hydraulics. Mm -hmm. You've got your chest cavity where your lungs are, that has pneumatic pressure, there's air pressure involved in this stuff. So your body manages stress through like tension and pressure and stuff like that. And so it has all these different things to mitigate isolated stress on a certain area. And so the fact that, I mean, you just look at the fact that like someone like these people who deadlift literally like a thousand pounds mm -hmm. off the ground, mm -hmm. right? There's no way in isolation they you should put that much load through the right? spine, you should explode, <laughs> but they don't. Because one, the body has ways of distributing that stress, and two, they've built up a tolerance over time to be able mm -hmm. to handle that. What about that guy, um, he's like 75 years old or something like that, and he squats like 400 pounds, and he only started lifting when he was like 55, I think his name is Rudy or something like yes, that. Yes, exactly what you're talking about. And they did a study on, or uh, they measured his bone density and compared it to just your average human male, not even at his age or whatever. And I forget exactly what like the numbers mean and the units they use, but like a normal, let's say a normal average adult male has a bone density of like 2.5, whatever, right? Yes. They measure his at like five. So he's like, his bones were like almost around the area of like twice as dense as a normal person. Yet he's doing the exercise that a lot of people would say you should avoid because it causes unnecessary, harmful stress on things like your spine and those particular joints over time yeah. to the point of harm. Right. Well, if you're not prepared for it, sure. 100%. But again, 
stress is stress. Mm -hmm. So people look at it and they hear stress and they think bad, right? But there's a concept that people refer to as eustress, like E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. And it's the idea of positive stress, right? Something that is a stimulus to your body to adapt to and get stronger. And so exercise is one of those things. Whereas, you know, you have the stress. Again, it's on a spectrum, more or less of it. You need enough to stimulate an adaptation, but not too much to get overwhelmed and crush yourself. And so as long as you're sitting in that realm, mm. you're going to adapt and then you progressively overload. You add a little more. So you're just outside your comfort zone again, but not too far. And then you progress, 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 progress. You get stronger, you adapt. And then all of a sudden you're like Rudy and you can squat 400 pounds and no big deal at that age because you've built a tolerance to it yeah, and your body has adapted. A dense boy. Yes. Your body is incredibly amazing. People just don't give it enough credit. So, so too long didn't read do we squat heavy or are we going to have glass backs <laughs> the What's only the way to Daniel? not have a weak <laughs> glass back is to do the things that the weak glass back people tell you not to do dude i that's what i think every time someone tells me like oh don't you shouldn't squat heavy because too much stress it's too heavy on those joints that's not going to be good for you over time the, literally the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, so you must have a weak back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. And then at that point, it's like, why would I take a, advice from someone with a weaker back than I want? Yeah. <laughs> and also, like at the same time though, like it depends on how hard you want to push yourself. And if you're going to push yourself, like yes, you may get tweaked up a little bit now and again, but because you're pushing yourself. I think it's also very important for people to understand that another hot take hot take number three of the day we're just banging them out injury prevention does not exist Ooh, right people talk about mean? injury prevention <laughs> or like bulletproof your whatever yeah okay you can't well i mean here's isn't the general concept though just from like my perspective when i hear like injury prevention bulletproofing your ankles or whatever yes is just to make them stronger than reasonably necessary for day-to-day -day life. Yes. However, colloquially, that can be a useful term to get people on board of doing things so that injury is potentially mitigated and less likely. Mm -hmm. However, people will make promises that they uh. just cannot keep. They don't have the power to keep because humans, life, all this stuff is so variable there are, it's so multifactorial, there are so many things at play that you cannot predict injury. People will watch an athlete getting injured and they'll be like, oh, if they did my system, they wouldn't have got injured because of X, Y, Z. It's like, you can't right. predict that. Like maybe under that you don't certain know condition. why they got injured. It's like, yes, at the end of the day, there was more stress on that tissue than it could handle. However, why? Right. right? So hypothetically, if you could measure the stress at every point in an athlete's body during the point of injury, could you not see like, ah, that little rubber band thing in his knee could only take like, let's say like 50 newtons of force, I don't know, whatever. But the they underwent um, a measurement of 65 newtons or whatever. So as long as we strengthen that connective tissue to being able to handle 70 newtons of force, they would be able to, they wouldn't have gotten injured. 
Like, is that like a, um, a fair claim to make, hypothetically, considering we're able to measure everything just hypothetically? You would think so. Doesn't mm. matter. Why not? Because on that given day, that tissue could only handle 45 newtons or whatever you said. Mm -hmm. On another day, might have been able to handle 60. Mm. So there's a lot of like, let's say like external temperature pressure yeah. conditions and all. So, so I guess hypothetically, other, right? so think about it like this real quick. What if you had enough information? Like what if you actually had all the environmental information, uh, but you're, it becomes a lot, right? You just can't feasibly, you cannot feasibly predict it, predict it because you cannot feasibly control for enough variables. Because think about it like this. Maybe it could only handle that much force because, you know, the day before he, let's say college athlete, day before he got, you know, a 98% on his exam, but his parents were super harsh and they were like, why didn't you get a hundred? He's a little stressed from that. And then later on that day, he breaks up with his girlfriend. And so he goes to the bar and he drinks a little bit and he's a little hungover the next day. And let's say he gets, you know, three hours of sleep that night because he just wasn't, he just wasn't in a good space. So he didn't get mm -hmm. very much sleep, but he was also trying to cram for his next exam the next day. So he's really stressed. He's underslept. He's under recovered and all these things. Um, and then his, you know, ankle or his knee or whatever you said got injured was literally in the exact right position for it to experience mm -hmm. that 60 whatever newtons of stress in the exact right spot right. for it to get injured on top of all the other variables that had compounded previously leading up to that point. And also maybe he was just physically or mentally rather feeling unconfident that day, feeling down on himself from everything else going on. And mentally, like your brain plays a big role in being able to mitigate stress at a tissue level as mm -hmm. well because of like your, your brain can um, like adjust like tension and stuff in muscles that you don't even like notice and stuff right. like that. Or so on like a neurological level, muscle, yeah. right? And so maybe his, he's just fatigued. So his, his like reflexes at a tissue level neurologically like weren't as quick to be able to handle that and adjust to that in time. And he was fatigued. So maybe, yeah, maybe his biomechanics quote unquote were off a little bit. So there's more stress on that joint. Right. The, I, my point is there's, there's too many. infinite variables. But this is not to say though that you shouldn't like train to strengthen correct right? because again it, it's more of just like a, a term like your yes. your gripe is more with the um almost like the advertisement my gripe is with people it. saying that if you do my system you'll never get an injury you'll again. never get an injury again right because it's my system and i do it differently than everyone else it's like look you give you money. can't possibly know that you can't possibly know that. and so injury prevention as a term is fake so what should you however focus on then? so good question so you should focus on, like always, the things you do have control over because there are infinite things you have no control over, like all those things I just talked about. But the things you do have control over are, yes, you can strengthen those tissues in those areas, progressively overload them over time so they can withstand more time. They have more buff. There's more buffer yeah, that way. Less There's a lot likely. more buffer, mm -hmm. right? And then you can also focus on some of those external variables like your sleep, your nutrition, your recovery, excuse me, your relationships, right, your stress. Right, right. So, right. so your gripe is mostly with the the absolute nature of the some absoluteness. of absoluteness. Mm-hmm. Because nothing's and absolute. And so you just got to take it take it with a grain of salt and look at it from a more 
um, like probability distribution perspective sure. of yep, absolutely. you're reducing the probability you're of injury. Reducing risk. You're reducing, reducing risk. risk. Yeah. Risk, risk. management. Risk. Good, it's good, good. Everything like is risk that, yeah. management, dude. That's what it's about. So that's what injuries are about. So when you talk about form in the gym, it's risk management, but it's also standardization for tissue stress and stuff like that. And just because your background's on a deadlift, if you watch the best deadlifters in the world that thing really heavy, their backs are going to round. Just because... That's their. Uh, that's is, the maximum well, end of their range of motion. Like that's well, or that's the the range. That's the well, range of motion well, from a muscular <clears throat> perspective. That's the length tension relationship in those muscles mm -hmm. of the back that is actually stronger than full extension because it's in a shortened position. So a little context there. Mm. Your muscle can get longer and it can get shorter, right? When it stretches, it gets longer. When it contracts, it gets shorter. Okay. So when I straighten out my elbow, my bicep is getting longer. Right. When I bring my hand to my shoulder and I bend my elbow, my bicep is getting shorter. Right? When the muscle is in the shortened position, it is not as strong. It doesn't have anywhere to go. When the muscle is in the lengthened position, it is also not as strong. The mid-range is the strongest because so it's called a length-tension relationship. Mm -hmm. At certain lengths, certain muscles will be stronger. They can create more tension there. Okay? And so... If you look at the muscles of the back, the especially the spinal extensor muscles, the muscles that run from your hip up your back all the way to your head, so they go like along your spine, spine. Okay. right? When you bend forward and round your back, they lengthen. When you stand up really straight and arch your back, they shorten. So when you're arching your back a lot at the bottom of a deadlift to look like flat or extended a little bit, the muscles are a little bit shortened. Mm. might not be that strong of a position relative. If you actually let yourself come to at least neutral, but maybe even just a tiny bit rounded for some people, those muscles are actually going to be in a stronger position. The right. most important thing is to try to stay in that position. Mm, so once you find a setup, in the back, yeah. create a lot of tension and pressure and brace and like stay there right. while you move so your again, hips can do the work. But again, your just, legs just optimize too work. for just like what's... The goal here, like if your goal is to just by any means necessary from this position, get that bar up, you're going to change your strategy a little bit. Then it's like, oh, I want to keep a flat back to maybe shift some of the weight onto another muscle yes, that I'm trying correct. to isolate for. Now, yeah. if you want to maximize like tension on the hamstrings per se, you actually want to have a tiny bit of an arch in your back. Oh, arch in your back. Yeah. Just a, a little bit because your, your pelvis that, that will tilt forward to, the hamstrings, to yeah. lengthen the hamstrings and create more tension on them when you're going at the bottom of the deadlift. Big brain here. So form is just as much, if not probably more so, for distributing stress for the purpose of where you want the tissues to experience stress than it is injury prevention. Yeah, and and that actually just, another just common colloquial principle, like, you know, form follows function versus function following form and like, which one do you prioritize, right? I always thought that was a little weird because like, yeah, from a surface level, you might think like, oh yeah, you got to make sure the function of it is more important than just it looking good. But in terms of anything physical, like structurally, mechanically, mm -hmm. body or civil engineer or whatever, how something looks dictates its physical presence in the, the universe, in the world, therefore dictates how it functions. So like form yeah. leads to function and the desired function dictates what form you need to optimize that. Correct. It's a, they, they, it's both ways. It's also, a two-way street. If something looks dope as hell, it looks dope as hell, and that matters. Okay. And, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely right. Well, that, and that's a common like misconception that like all meatheads that are jacked 
like have no functionality and they can't move and like so getting big muscles is not functional bodybuilding is not functional all that stuff right it's just i've seen some pretty functional not bodybuilders. true if you actually watch a bodybuilding show there'll be a lot of them that do like They're lightweight gymnastics flexible, up there yeah. like the splits cartwheels that type of stuff on in the middle of their show very flexible and enormous mm-hmm. right and and two when when like with like optimizing for form or function or whatever because like like a lot of my personal athletic background is more visual performance based than it is to just achieve a certain outcome or like lift a certain thing or get ball in hoop kind of you know in in goal or net or whatever it's more visual performance it's more subjective um so whether that be just like for martial arts for tricking acrobatics gymnastics things like that there is an element of style Mm-hmm. There's a heavy element of style, right? Because I've seen many different body types from like short and maybe a little heavier set to like super tall and lanky to anywhere in between. And yes, that does dictate how they do things. Like their form does dictate the function mm-hmm. and therefore the form of their tricks. Mm-hmm. But you can always find something that works really well for and optimize for that particular body type mm-hmm. and end up making that your own style. And it looks super cool. It looks different but it looks awesome, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the thing too. Like at the end of the day, it's like there's there's a lot to be said about um, like the reason why you do certain things is just because it's cool, right? Like I don't think that's that's wrong at all. I actually think there's a lot, it's very inspiring when I hear people say like, oh, like, why did you do that? Because it's awesome. Yeah. It's like you've kind of just isolated what matters to you in life, which is not needing to justify why you do things and just doing them because you want to do them and they're freaking cool. Yeah. So basically, a in that get jacked if you're trying to get jacked. That's all we're saying. Just get you. Too long didn't read. Get those deadlifts in or lift heavy squats, do deadlifts, do cool things because it's awesome. One more question for you though. So because we're all about like connecting different dots mm-hmm. and seeing things from different perspectives and isolating principles. And today was a lot about your particular background of transitioning between all the things you tried a lot of music and then also a lot of physical fitness mm-hmm. have you found much overlap between the principles of music and the principles of physical fitness fascinating um i know i put you on the spot for that one yeah and you know i'm not good on the spot but here we go um yes I, I definitely think just so. give us a couple and I think ones. as I talk through this maybe we'll start to emerge a little bit more so um, but I guess some like when you talk about music a little bit like music music is is like a language and it, it's an inter- it's interesting because it's a language that you can't really or it's a language that like crosses typical language barriers. Yeah. Right? Because with typical language, like if you speak Spanish, somebody else speaks English, like they can't communicate. But music kind of transcends that because it's not words, but it's it's something auditory that everyone can hear and interpret themselves a little bit. It's not objective in its meaning. It's not objective in its meaning. No, it's subjective in its meaning a little bit. And that's that's pretty cool in the fact that like I can play a piece of music and everyone in the room can 
feel something from it, even if they speak completely different languages. And it's also a way that people can express feelings and emotions that language just doesn't do justice. And for me, fitness plays a similar role in my life in that way, in that it allows me, one, to do things that aren't necessarily always just objective based like a language is Mm -hmm. it's like it, it has objective components just like music does if music doesn't if the notes don't like play well together it's not going to sound good yeah there's a sound like a five-year-old banging on a piano there's harmony there's principles of harmony and resonance yes there are underlying principles of harmony and things like that it's a reason why a five-year-old banging on a piano sounds very different than mozart right however mozart versus beethoven versus whatever like you like what you like because it's subjective and it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily objective like once you're at least operating within those fitness in those bounds yeah with exercise and stuff like that people treat it very objectively like this is the best exercise crossfit (laughs) and it's like excuse you should squat like this because it's better because of some arbitrary random reason or you shouldn't squat because or you shouldn't squat because it's bad because of some arbitrary reason i made up right (laughs) When in reality, there's different types of exercises out there for different types of people, and you got to find something that you jive with and you like and is a bop. Yeah, right? man. In your life. Because it's cool. Just because it's awesome. And exercise, <laughs> again, for me, is a way to kind of express something like that, that just words just don't quite do justice. And you can explore with exercise. Something I like is like, sometimes, like in, in music, you can kind of just you get a certain level where you understand enough about the basics of music where you can start to just kind of freestyle. You can sit down at a piano and you can just play and riff. Mm-hmm. And um, Because you intuitively know it works and you can feel mm-hmm. your body responding or the instrument responding in the same yes. way. Yes, and you, you can start to feel how the things respond to the inputs that you give it and blah, blah, blah. And you can just freestyle and you can just go, right? With exercise, too, there's a level of exploration that you can have with it. Just like with the music and like you can be doing an exercise a certain way like with the quote-unquote proper form and then all of a sudden you can feel like hmm, i want to feel this a little bit more here so you can tweak the exercise a little yeah. bit to you, feel you know, different things you know what causes what like you understand yes. mm-hmm. the cause and effect relationships of your entire body you know? because you're so familiar with it be like an instrument yeah so there's an exploration you can do about like i'm going to do my row with my arm like rotated like this instead of straight up and down or i'm going to bend my body a little bit into it while i go and feel a little more stretch in my lat or something instead of just staying super strict with it or whatever because the body has infinite ways it can move infinite and so to standardize it so much to the fact that you can only do a row like this because that's the right way then you'll only progress in those it's like areas let the body do what it do and just kind of flow with it a little bit. So there's a flow state for me that comes with music and with exercise that's a little yeah, bit. That's, like that. that's a huge like connection between mm-hmm. the two. And I, I can access them in similar ways. The that's other thing too is when I started to learn more about music, like the theory behind it. Because like how I started out in music was I just kind of sat down at a piano. So 
I'll go back a little bit further. Um, our parents got this piano from our grandparents. That used to be at our grandparents' house, and when they died, our parents took the piano. Big and piano. it was this old piano, like a hundred-year-old box grand piano, and we used to play it when we were little kids, just kind of like dinging around on it, right? And it was just sitting in our house for for years. And so I just decided, like, I'm going to learn how to play that thing. So I sat down at it, started hitting stuff until it started sounding good. That's literally how I learned how to play it. Sick, dude. <laughs> and so then I started watching videos on YouTube, like how to play certain songs and like blah, blah, blah. But I just kind of learned by ear. Once I started actually learning the theory a little bit of like why certain chords sound the way they do, why certain things sound good together versus other things, mm. you start to understand like the principles of why things yeah. work. The harmonic. Then... If there's a certain, before, I, if I had a certain emotion I was trying to do, I would have to do a lot of trial and error until I kind of found it. If I understand the levers I can pull and manipulate, then if I want to get a certain emotion with a song, I know what chords to use because I know what levers to pull to you get You know the cause and effect relations, yep. yeah. With exercise, same thing. I started out just in my bedroom, random dumbbells that like my mom had and literally made a little bench out of a big suitcase and a pillow that I laid back on and had these like little dumbbells that I was just doing random stuff with. But I would explore around and feel how different movement, different positions, I felt it in different places. And I was like, oh, I want to get this muscle. So I would lean over a little more to try to like get that muscle a little more and just until I found the right thing, I would just do random stuff. And then eventually I learned more about exercise and I learned what chords to play to get certain outcomes. You get there faster now. Right? And now if I want a certain outcome, if I want to target a certain something, I know the principles to use to extract that. Yeah. So I know how to get that. So that's another thing between music and fitness that's that you wouldn't think. But it's like it's that, well, knowing it's, what levers to pull. It's super interesting though that that what you just described is like you went about learning something and becoming something the same way. Yes. And that's super duper interesting to understand like how that develops from like just an interest into a passion, into a skill with obsession and, and, and that whole process of that and the consistencies of how you learn mm -hmm. and having the self-awareness to know that to now be able to apply to anything. Yeah. Like if you wanted to learn another skill that's kind of outside of your normal wheelhouse, you'd probably go about it the same way because yeah. you know what works for you. I would dabble in it for a second, explore around, think what I wanted to achieve and like trial and error experiments around mm -hmm. to see kind of what worked, what didn't. That's super important. Yeah. And then I would try to learn principle, learn right. like traditionally then how to do it so I could pull those levers when I wanted to. Most people go that route first, I think. Which and is, then they I box think, themselves I in a little bit. I think incorrect because they don't have context. It's like if you read a book about something, but you haven't done the thing that the book's talking about, you don't know what the book's talking about. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. being a like fine with being yeah. an absolute fool just exploring things and trying out, dabbling in it, just so you have a little bit of like hands-on experience to know what the book is talking about in context yeah. will accelerate that learning process and solidify it faster and faster and faster over time, right? So that, that's actually super interesting. And as we were talking, I actually just thought of another connection between um, like music and physical fitness, more from a like instrument perspective, right? Because if I'm, if I'm yeah. looking back to like my experience with like, oh, I'm understanding like a lot of the mathematics and harmonics behind certain like instruments and mm -hmm. tubes of air and whatever and things like that. Like, so you're, you have an instrument, let's say like a woodwind, same kind of thing with like a string instrument. It doesn't really matter. Same kind of yeah. principle of, of vibrations and harmonies apply. Yeah. 
certain standing waves can fit on that physical structure and you're changing the shape and the structure of the instrument to accommodate different harmonics and therefore produce different sounds yes right and it's the exact same thing with your body as an yes. instrument you're changing the form of your body to have it function a different way and produce a different outcome yes. as a different harmonic note basically different exercises are like different instruments and a whole workout is like your score your musical a, score and dude, your body a pull is up your... is just a tuba like oh, straight up a pull up <laughs> is just a tuba what's a deadlift then I feel like a deadlift is probably a tuba. I feel like a I, like yeah, like you got it. Squat or something. You got it. You got. I think a squat's a tuba. A squat's a tuba. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, <laughs> uh, one more I guess thing on that note too is like the idea of like a symphony, mm. right? Your body Where you have different symphony, <laughs> different instruments, different subsequent pieces creating something that is bigger than the sum of its parts. The but harmony only because each instrument is doing what it needs to do, but more importantly, they're all playing together in a harmony in a way that creates this beautiful symphony. So when we talk about things like exercise, you need the individual parts to be right, like the right exercises at the right time for the right person in the right places. But across the whole week, month, year, like the progressions need to be right. You need to have all the little pieces playing together. Again, it's the, it's a concept of being able to zoom in on the nuance of the details on that one violin was a little off. We need to change the pitch on that to then zooming back out and how is that violin playing with that oboe over there? How are they meshing together well? Like the whole thing needs to mesh together as an integrated system, mm -hmm. but you need to be able to zoom in and, and look at the parts the as well. The cohesion and the harmony yes. between it's all harmony. the vibration. Like everything is vibration. We'll talk about that a lot later for sure, skis, but like everything comes back down to vibration and harmonies and resonance, mm -hmm. right? And, and that is just something that I've, I, yeah. you, I can, apply that to literally anything like i know that just because i know it's fundamental yeah and it's really no different in, in across music and exercise totally. and things like that well dude it's like your your body is a symphony too it's like your your foot is a violin your knee is a tuba like your hip is a piano i don't know you know what i'm saying it's like they're all individual pieces but they have to work together mm -hmm. in order to achieve the masterpiece that is movement Right, mm -hmm. so it's like takeaways are. I like the prioritization on the masterpiece of movement over than just like look big. Yeah, well, looking big too. Like they have to still work together. But it's mm -hmm. like if we talk about like movement and stuff like that, it's like first of all, your body's meant to move, so go move it. But it's it can move in a infinite different ways, so move it in an infinite different infinite different ways. Don't be afraid of it. Progress it appropriately. That's the key. You gotta progress it appropriately because with something like injury mitigation, people always wanna blame the biomechanics or the particular exercise or the technique, but it's like, maybe that person just did too much work too fast. Yeah. Right? Scale that mm -hmm. as well. Volume, intensity, those are other levers you can pull. Once you start to realize the levers you can manipulate and the levers you can pull, it's like, one, you probably will get injured less because you have other things you can start to manipulate so you're not running yourself into a wall. But you're going to continue to progress further longer because people will hit a plateau on something and they'll just keep trying to add weight to the bar. They can't do it. A plateau is just a lack of creativity because they don't know that there's other levers they can pull a plateau, to continue to progress in different ways. plateau is just a lack of creativity. That is facts. Right Straight there. up. That is all facts. No printers here. That's good. 100%. Enjoy movement. Go move more.
We go gym. We go gym. If you're listening to this, go gym. Go gym. Drop a <laughs> gimme five. <laughs> we out. All right. We're back. My mic wasn't on, but we're back again for the third time because we had to talk about hot take number four for the day. Functional exercise. Tell us what's up. What's good, Daniel? So hot take number four. I do not think there is a, such a thing as functional exercises and non-functional exercises, mm-hmm. right? Exercise is functional. Right. That's just, just the period. The form and function thing, again, is like if you constrain your form in like a machine or a non-functional exercise, quote unquote, that's a different form, which means it's a different function, but it's still a function, whereas an unconstrained yes. Form gives you an unconstrained function, but exactly. it's still just a variability of the two. Exactly. So most people, the argument mostly exists when you talk about free weight exercises versus like machine-based exercises, mm-hmm. right? Where most people are like, oh, doing a squat with a barbell is more functional than doing a squat in a machine or a leg press or a hack squat machine or something like that, right? Well, I guess the idea is, and you can tell me if this is wrong, um, when you have like a, a functional free weight exercise, it's designed to be more similar to in a circumstance you're going to encounter in real life, right? So you'll be better prepared for those kinds of activities versus being like locked into a machine and isolating a particular group of muscles, right? Is that fair? Yes. And at face value, yes. There is some context and nuance, obviously, to that because just because this looks like this does not mean they're the same Mm -hmm. right now the reason that people say things like that is because when you're squatting so let me back up functional exercise let's define what that means an exercise that improves your function so first you have to define what function means. what is that that you even want function is task specific right so what is the function you are trying to improve right if my goal is to improve at pull-ups, then the most functional thing I can do is to train pull-ups. However, if my goal is to get strong lats, big lats, fly away, then maybe my best functional exercise for that isn't necessarily gonna be pull-ups. Maybe it is a machine-based exercise. We'll talk about why in a second. But now let's say it's something different altogether. Let's say my function that I'm trying to achieve is, you know, playing volleyball or something or doing a sport or whatever that might be that becomes the function mm-hmm. that you want to select strategies to drive towards right. that but even then your overall right. function of being good at volleyball you have to isolate the components yes. the main pillars the main buckets if you will mm-hmm. to focus on to enhance your overall skill set by enhancing those individual levers that you can now pull. Because yes. like, oh, get better at volleyball. Oh, there's not a machine for that. Where's the volleyball machine? I don't know. <laughs> Go play volleyball. Go play volleyball. First that, that's all, pretty much it, that's right? It. That's the one. But can you accelerate that process if you take some time off and train specific leg exercises, specific like <laughs> arm exercises, <laughs> yes. specific jumping exercises, things like that, you know? Yeah. And then bring those back to the table, those new tools back to the table those enhanced levers to go then play volleyball on the volleyball machine yes. and then crush it. Yes. And so isolating or starting to break down what is the function, what is the ultimate task that you want to achieve, and then what are the constituent components of that task? What are the physical qualities what needed? What are the grains of sand? 
that you need to build the mountain with? Yes. What are the physical qualities that you need to combine to achieve that task? What is mm-hmm. the task? Task specific. And so, first of all, side note, physical qualities being separate from each other is just us compartmentalizing things so our monkey brains can wrap our heads around it well, to understand it because everything the process works of how together to do in your it. body. And so some of those components, the physical qualities that you might extract are some things like strength, flexibility, balance, speed, right? Things like that, where those are things you can train. Those become trainable qualities now. So they're actionable, mm. right? That's important, making make sure the things that you're going for yep. have actionable, yep. trainable constituents totally to isolate on their own to improve and so, overall. When you look at something functional, well. yeah. the reason that people say like a, a free weight bar, or like a barbell free weight squat is more functional is because it combines more of those qualities together. Yeah. So you have strength because you're lifting weight, but you also have to have balance because there's no there's less constraints. So you're you have to balance the bar. You have mm-hmm. to you know stand not fall over. Yeah, you have nothing to mitigate you up. instability right throughout so the range of motion. While you squat, you have to balance there on your own. Um, so there's there's more components of like that. Usually, when people say functional, they end up talking about more unstable exercises. So they kind of just start talking about like balance and quote unquote stability, if you will, like loading that up, yeah. right? Like you know doing stuff on one leg is inherently more functional than doing stuff on two legs. It's like, why? It's like, oh, cause you do sports on one leg. It's like, okay, yes, at face value, but there's a lot of other things going on. So <laughs> I haven't heard someone say that before. That's funny. <laughs> oh, well that's, that's a very common thing for sure. And, and yes, it matters. Like, yes, you should train things on one leg or do you know, lunges and stuff like that. Cause it's closer to the demands of well, sport. Too, just Although the intention matters as well. Like at least that's how I've always interpreted like functional exercises versus not. I, it's more. It's less about the exercises themselves, but more about the intention that I'm trying to get out of them. Like I don't that's just yep. work out my leg to have big leg and be Mr. Olympia. You know, it, it's more like yep. I have to have the leg a certain strength, and um, you know maybe increase my like fast twitch muscle response or flexibility so that I can do a specific thing in performance or for a sport or something yep. like that, right? So it's less about the actual exercise and more about the intention behind the exercise. And that does kind of maybe guide the exercises that I do to optimize yes. for that. Like so, if my goal is just to get big, I'm going to do different exercises than if my goal is to get strong and be able to like fight good or do a cool flip or whatever. That's exactly right. On the nail, on the ha- hammer, on the nail, you, whatever. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exercise selection is there to drive a particular intent. Is there to make a particular intent easier for that person to access? Because ultimately, it's the intent that matters. Heat. <laughs> Speaking, he's too hot. It's the intent that really matters at the end of the day. And so you want to choose an exercise where that person can put that intent into it easier. I love so, that. So the example of, you know, um, barbell squat versus like, hack squat on a leg or mm-hmm. on a machine or something like that, right, is what's, what, what are you after? And so you want to break down these constituent qualities from your task and do an exercise that trains them. A barbell squat will train strength very well, but it will also incorporate mobility because you have to go deep and it will incorporate stability because you have to stand there and not fall over, right? Those types of things. However, 
you could argue if strength is the thing that's lacking the most, then you actually would probably potentially want to do a machine-based exercise more than a free weight exercise because you remove mm. more of the qualities. So here it shifts the bottleneck. Yes, think about it like this. It's a spectrum of constraint. Less constrained, you have to use more qualities together. More constraints, aka a machine keeping you in the same path it's, the whole time. You don't have to balance right. things like that. It's resource allocation. So you can re uh -huh. you can allocate more resources to the it's stimulus concentration. It's a more concentrated stimulus on a machine than it is on a free weight. And so because you don't have to use as much of the other one, so you can focus on load and driving mechanical tension to the muscles you want to get stronger. That's going to be the most potent stimulus in that exercise. And so sometimes that can actually be more functional than a quote unquote functional free weight exercise because your bottleneck is no longer, the limiting factor is no longer stability and balance and not falling over. It's muscular fatigue and, and actually tissue level yeah, adaptation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so that's the thing. That's the, the limiter. The, the function is d dictated by the, the outcome that you want, the goal, the exactly. intended destination, if you will, yep. at least the direction that you're trying to grow. Yep. And, you know, people that's will. That's super duper important to, <laughs> to think about too and remember when, because most people just ego lift. Just because like oh big thing me big strong boy like it yeah what's the goal you have no goal your goal is to just be your goal is to like look cool by impressing other people your monkey you brain's yeah your monkey brain's goal is to not get kicked out of the tribe and be, be like important like that is a fundamental human mm -hmm. desire is like in some way i want to be important yeah and i'm scared of not being important so i have to make others think i'm important yeah. because i think that they'll think that i'm important and that's what I go off of, yep. what I think other people think about. It's like, no, just dude, just get strong. So a functional exercise is anything that achieves your desired outcome. Yes, and having the clarity most, on the that best, is so In the most effective way, yes. most efficient way, right? Beautiful. And so if you look at something like a quad extension machine, right? Mm -hmm. And then you look at something like a sissy squat, if you guys you know, know what that is. It's basically where you're standing kind of up on your toes, your knees are going really far forward and you're like leaning back and your you hips look stay like up Michael so your body and you're doing a hee hee all yeah. the way down it's to the like ground. basically kind of doing a squat but without letting your hips bend at all it's just all in the knees but it's exactly something like oh that's more functional than being on a leg extension machine it's the same thing your <laughs> knee is bending with load and then you're straightening it back out and this is actually a, a super relevant example for me too because I, I recently just like sprained my ankle pretty bad and like yesterday i just just had my first like leg day back basically yeah and i still don't have full functionality in that ankle i can't squat i can't do a pistol squat i can't do a sissy squat because that ankle just doesn't really move in that range of motion but i can do a leg extension and so that's what i did so in that context, that was a more functional exercise. It was exercise. the best thing I could have done. Because it achieves your desired outcome in a more efficient way, mm -hmm. more functional. Beautiful. Context dependent. 100%. I love that. As is everything.